0: Hello, everyone. We are continuing this evening with one of our favorite parts of our ASI convention, and that is our Members in Action segment. And right now, I have with me Lou Keith. Perhaps you could tell us just a little bit about yourself. Uh, There may be someone here who does not know you and perhaps uh, would like to know a few things about you. Uh, Have you always been a Christian?
1: Well, not always. I I was a... Uh, you could say heavy drinker, drunk. I was criminal. I was as far from God as man could be. I met my wife. She was a New Age spiritualist. She read my palm, did my astrology chart, rode a motorcycle, and this is how we met. And she got pregnant, took her to Wildwood Hospital, met Seventh-day Adventists, and that's how I uh, came to know God.
0: (laughs) Okay, and so in a nutshell,
1: you've told us how
0: you became a, a Christian. Tell us now where you
1: are. Well, I mean, I hope to be in God's hands tonight, but um, I went to Wildwood, joined the staff. Uh, Pastor Atwood studied with me. He endured the Bible study, baptizes my wife and me, and then I went to Wildwood, and there I developed an orientation toward using natural remedies for, you know, health challenges. And then Wildwood, we purchased some land in Iron City, Tennessee. They sent us there, and my wife and I, we had the thinking, the mindset that we would just take guests and use the natural remedies to help them. And as it turned out, our first guest, nobody knew we were there. We had no money. We had an old farmhouse. Nobody knew we were there. We had no furniture. We just prayed. And, you know, I've noticed that when you pray from an earnest heart, God always hears and he answers, but not always in the way you think. So uh, we prayed. Uh, The Lord sent us our first guest. He was a crack addict from New York City. Second guest came out of jail in Silverdale Jail, and he was a dope dealer from Chattanooga. And then the third guest, and the fourth guest, and the fifth guest, and they were all problems with uh, addictions, alcohol, depression, mental disorders, and everything else. And so we use the natural methods. You know, I found out they weren't just fine, whatever the problem. One size fits what? Fits all, right? So uh, we used that, and it really worked. And by the way, that's a growing problem. The war on drugs back in the 60s just say, no, it didn't work. That's a growing problem outside and inside the church, So as uh, the ministry developed, that was what we started doing. And, of course, I'm ministering to the same kind of, to the people. I was somebody like that. So it was very easy to sympathize and have some compassion. And by the way, in the Bible, you see, you know, Mary has seven devils. The woman at the well, John 4, had five husbands working on number six. And Mark 5, the demoniac, had a legion of devils between his ears. Those people, when they get turned around, make the very best missionaries. Can anybody say Amen. So I'm just going to give just a short couple of stories about what God has done. And this is recent, like yesterday. Before you do that, I'm sorry, Cal.
0: That's, uh, we have one mic. <laughs> and I wound him up, and now he's going. Uh, <laughs> Lou, yes, sir. tell us the name of your organization. You have uh, told us about it. But tell us where you're at and, you're, and the name you said Iron
1: City. Uh, yeah, we're in a uh, western part of Tennessee, Butler Creek Health Education Center. So we. We have a health center, a small health center. We have an educational program, one-year health evangelism training school, and organic farm. We grow the food, food to feed our guests and to feed our, uh, our patients. But, you know, uh, this morning, I got a phone call this morning from a good friend named Travis. He came to our program five weeks ago, crystal meth. Everybody had told him, you're a five-time loser. I say with Christ, you're a one-time winner. You're a new creature. God can make a difference. God can change things. In our program, you know, of these uh, these these new start things, the most important is number number last, which is what trust in God. You know, at Romans eight twenty four, we're saved by what hope, and to give people hope, they come hopeless and helpless, and to give them hope, this is the best medicine we can give them. Would you agree? Proverbs seventeen twenty two, a merry heart doeth good like a what medicine, and hope brings a merry heart. So I got a call this morning. He came through a program. God changed that man's heart, and he went back to Chattanooga. Got a call from him this morning, uh, had a baby. He didn't have it. His, his friend had the baby, eight pounds, three ounces. The baby's healthy. This friend of mine is now healthy. His heart is healthy. I expect to be going to uh, first a marriage and then a baptism very soon. Now, day before yesterday, we had a lady, Jerry, leave our program. I have their permission to use their names and tell their story. She came with debilitating depression, completely pessimistic, completely negative, saying she had no hope and she had no help. And I knew she came to the right place, not because of what we do, but what God can do. And God took that woman and changed her life completely. She walked out of here yesterday of our program filled with hope, filled with a positive attitude, rejoicing in the Lord when? Always and again I say what? Rejoice, And she found something to rejoice about. She found a Savior. In spite of the weak human agents, she found the Savior. Now, when I met my wife, she's also a Buddhist. We had a lady call, and she said, you have a morning and evening devotional in your program. She said, I'm a Buddhist, and I don't want to come. I said, well, that's fine. We we offer it, but it's optional. So she came, and uh, as we did the first morning devotional, she's standing out in the foyer, but I can tell she's listening. You know, the message we have reaches past the outside because Buddhist, Hindu, Atheist, Jainist, whatever you are, you have a body and you have health issues. So when we say things like Proverbs 26, 2, the curse doesn't come without a cause, that woman's ear is perked up. You can't prevent breast cancer unless you know the cause. So we begin to reason from cause and effect, and she was drawn into the, uh, to the, to the worship. She came to all our worship services, and when she left, that woman was baptized away from the Buddhist into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And just over and over and over, we've run our facility from time to time. We've run our facility from people that came in and got an experience with God. Now, I think there's a stigma attached to, you know, people that drink, smoke, and take drugs, not in the eyes of God. You, You agree? Not in the eyes of God. When God sees a person with those kind of issues, He said, that is a missionary in the making. And when I turn that soul around, he will do things for me because he which is forgiven much does what? Come on, does what? Loveth much. And then one more. I got my 40 seconds. We had a lady that came to our program a year ago, heavy drinking problem. She she came, had a beautiful experience, went back home, started drinking. Came back, beautiful experience, went back home and started drinking. Came back for two programs, had a beautiful experience, went back home and started drinking came back to our program, had a beautiful experience, and people began to say, it's never going to work. They do not know who Christ is. Because if God is for you, Romans eight thirty one. what? Who can be against you? That woman went home and kept the experience. She was married and then baptized as a seven-day Adventist and are close friends of our ministry. I say praise the Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you, Lou. Before you leave... <laughs> Time's up. Yes, um,
1: tell us if someone wants to help or someone wants to contact you. How can they do that? I'd say number one, pray for us. Number two, come by our booth and talk to us. God has a plan and a place for everybody, including someone like me. Yes. Thank you so much, Lou.
0: Two forty something. It's amazing that God can use all of us, no matter, and he has quite a unique ministry. Well, joining me now is a man that actually needs no introduction. You've just introduced yourself, but, uh, but uh, for uh, those who perhaps maybe one or two who came in late, maybe you can say who you are and uh, where you're from.
2: Okay. Well, my name is Stephen Grabener. I'm president of OCI, Outpost Centers International, currently coming from Tennessee. Okay.
0: Tell us just a little
2: bit about OCI and what you're doing right now. Sure, OCI is a family of supporting ministries, about 124 in 44 different countries all around the world. It's exciting to see what lay people are doing um, in a variety of situations and in very difficult circumstances, but it's a privilege to be working with them. Um,
0: Now, Alpost Centers is involved with something that is brand new, well, always uh, involved in things that are brand new, but a specific project that has caught my attention and yours to tell us about it.
2: Sure. About six or seven years ago, the field president from the Israeli field contacted OCI and some of its members asking if we could come help try to do something in the country of Israel. You know, in the early 1900s, Ellen White had addressed a general conference session, encouraging the church to do a specific work for Jewish people found all around the world. In fact, in the early 1900s, the church bought a building um, outside the city of outside the old city of Jerusalem. And so we went. Um, uh, some people from Hergalia in Romania, and from HER here in, in Tennessee, and from Novio Ovchadi, a lifestyle center in Ukraine, and combined together to start doing some health work in the country of Israel.
0: We have some pictures. Uh, perhaps it, it, are they pictures of the facility?
2: They are. Um, just. Let me give a short background before we get to the pictures. Is that okay, Cal? And and so for the past six years, we've been looking for the right place to start a lifestyle center in Israel to minister to the secular Israeli. And after six years of looking and looking and looking, we finally found a beautiful place. And maybe we can get a couple of those pictures up. It's in a little town called Migdal. It's really where uh, Mary Magdalene was from. You can see behind that hill a little bit is Nazareth. The area is, you know, very kind of rural. The Next slide, please. Uh, This is a picture of the house. It's got five guest rooms attached to it, plus four bedrooms in the main house. Next one, thanks. Here in the inside, where we'll be doing some health lectures. Uh, This is one of the suites that guests will be staying. Again, nice place outside for lectures and health talks. And it's right near the Sea of Galilee, and on a very clear day, you can see Mount Hermon in the distance. Um, Again, it's a beautiful facility. Most of the land in Israel is actually owned by the government and somehow leased to the different individuals. Only about 6% is privately owned. This land is privately owned. Every other property we looked at had some kind of legal issues to it. Oh, maybe a building wasn't built properly or it was built on the neighbor's property or, or something like that. But this property is really perfectly situated for the work that we want to do.
0: There there must be some miracles that have been associated with your acquiring this property, finding this property. Uh, I'm sure that you'd probably like to tell us. I don't know how much time we could uh, go into all of that, but is there maybe something that you could tell us as far as how you were able to get this type of property?
2: It's been the result of a lot of prayer and a lot of work. Uh, Again, the Situation there in Israel is very unique in terms of property. A little home that I own in Tennessee would probably be worth much more than a million dollars in Israel. Land is very expensive, very hard to come across anything. So for years, like I said, a little team there that have been working in leadership positions in the local church have been scouring the countryside from north toward the Lebanese border, toward Nord, closer toward uh, Jerusalem. And again, finally, the Lord directed us through a series of providences where it was a friend of a friend who heard of the place, told one of our church members there, she went to see it and instantly felt, this is the right place. And what's really exciting, when I went to visit and Dr. Dan went to visit, we all had that sense, no, this is the right location. The only problem was that it cost about a million and a half. It was very expensive, but the Lord's really a blessed. A number of people have come together. Uh, We've raised all the funds. We've purchased the property, and we take possession at the end of this month.
0: There are some unique challenges in working in this particular type of environment, a very secular environment. Um, How do you think that you will be able to reach people that have this secular mindset?
2: that's a great question and really there's two classes of people we could say among the israelis particularly there are the orthodox jews who are very devout and consecrated to their faith and then there's the secular israelis as you mentioned which is the vast majority of the population our target is the secular israeli and target is the wrong word the people we want to serve are the secular israelis and uh... so that's going to be our focus we're going to have, invite people to come. It's going to be kind of like a bed and breakfast to start. We have permission to have people come. We can give them health talks. We can feed them breakfast. We, can feed them, we cannot feed them lunch unless we do a cooking class together. And then if we do a cooking class together, they can eat what they cooked. And then we can do the same thing for supper. And, and so we can have them come. We can do massage, health lectures, and introduce them to a healthy lifestyle that way. But again, it'll be a very gentle drawing and winning of the people's hearts. I seem to remember a quotation in some book someplace about Christ's method alone will give us true success. How Jesus mingled with people, won their confidence, and then bade them to follow him. And that's really going to be our aim, is to simply make friends, to serve the people there, to show that we're real people, and hopefully gently introduce them to their Messiah.
0: So we're looking at a very unique sermon in shoes that will be reaching the people of Israel, something that we should have done all along uh, and and uh, certainly something that the Lord has has blessed you with being able to acquire this property. Now, if someone wants to know more about this or, or uh, wants to help in some way, how will they get in touch with you?
2: Well, you could, for here, you can come by the OCI booth, Outpost Center's booth, booth number 616. And when you hear about a health tour to Israel, where you could come see Israel and as well come on a health vacation, remember, that's us. By the way, the name of the place is going to be called Migdalia. Migdal means fortress or tower. Leah, of course, Yahweh. Yahweh is my tower, my strength. Migdalia, pray for us. Pray for the work in Israel. Thank you, Cal.
3: Thank you, Stephen. Good evening, ASI. Wasn't that powerful? God is truly moving around the world to prepare for his soon return. Well, I have a question for you tonight. How many of you have heard of a ministry called Your Best Pathway to Health? Anybody? Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, second question. How many of you have volunteered at Your Best Pathway to Health? Quite a few hands, excellent, amen, amen. Excellent. Well, if you haven't heard of it, Pathway to Health is a mobile mega clinic that provides medical, dental, surgical, and eye care to the uninsured and underinsured populations. And so far, Pathway has served six cities in North America in the last two years, providing, get this, $86 million in free health care. Amen. Servicing over 23,000 patients. And on top of that, to get all that done, we've had over 9,000 volunteers that have made this possible. And just recently, just about a few weeks ago, we were in Beckley, West Virginia, in the mountains of West Virginia, and we had over 700 volunteers at that event. Dee Hildebrandt was one of our volunteers, D. Uh, first question for you, this was not the only pathway that you've been at. Tell us how many pathways you've volunteered for. This
4: was my third one. I started in Spokane, did L.A., and then I did um, West Virginia. Once you start, you can't stop. You can't stop, like
3: the Pringles, <laughs> right? Okay, so D, question for you. How, uh, first, what is your normal day job? Are you, you're not a medical person, are you?
4: Oh, no, I'm not medical. Actually, I've worked for 3ABN for the last 20 years Amen. behind the camera,
3: Okay, not so out here. <laughs> we are glad to put you in front of the camera tonight. Praise the Lord for the ministry of 3ABN. We're so thankful for Amen. them. And now, you were invited to a Pathway event, or how did that happen?
4: Well, I heard about it, of course, through 3ABN, and then when I heard all the stories, I got very excited, and I was said, please, can I go to Spokane early and volunteer? Amen. And it was wonderful because it's life-changing.
3: Amen. Now, most recently, you served in Los Angeles and, and, and in, West in, in, Sp- in…
4: West Virginia.
3: West Virginia. Yes. In the patient assistance uh, department. Yes. Uh, tell us, how, how did it impact you serving?
4: It's wonderful because you find out that you can change lives in a physical and spiritual way. And I'm not a medical person, so I never knew that that would be a joy I'd get to enjoy. And it's wonderful. The people that you meet, the lives that you see change and, the, and changing your life, and the people, the patients, and the people you get to meet and work with, the other volunteers.
3: Amen. Now, now, Dia, one more question for you before we, before we move to Melody. Um, when you go on vacation, you probably like to go to Hawaii or stay at the beach, right? Is that what you do with your vacation time? No,
4: I save my vacations and use them for pathways.
3: <laughs> what do you say? Amen. Amen. Dee uses her vacation time to serve others. That's the true ASI spirit. Praise the Lord, Dee. Thank you for, for being a volunteer. Well, Melody, um, not only Dee, but we had a lot of other volunteers in Beckley. Tell us a little bit about the, the variety of people that came together.
5: It's amazing, Kyle. We actually had people that came all the way from Bermuda from Brazil. Um, We had somebody that drove from Mexico, even from Hungary, just from all over the place.
3: All over the world.
5: Yes, all over the world. And we even had people in the community that asked to volunteer. We had a phlebotomy student that came from the local college and she was only planning to be there for four hours. And it was just so powerful. She had to stay the entire time. She was asking, she was asking the team there, who are you people? Who are Seventh-day Adventists? She even came to the evening meetings.
3: Okay, well, that is powerful. Now, Melody, just a question. There's probably an age limit, right? Like, if, if you're over a certain age, I, I don't think you can volunteer. Like, maybe if you're <laughs> over 80 or 85, is that, is that the cap?
5: There's no age limit. You know what, this last pathway, we had a lady volunteer that was 99 he 99 was old. years
3: wow. old. What do you say? How many of you are 99? <laughs> no hands went up. Maybe a few of you. Okay. Well, you know what? If you're 99, actually, if you're 100, over 100, you can volunteer for if Pathway. If you can
6: smile and you have a heartbeat, you can amen. volunteer.
3: Amen. Amen. Well, it, it's, it's truly a blessing. Now, Melody, how does this impact you personally to volunteer?
5: It's just powerful. You know, I've been part of a lot of mission trips, a lot of activities over the years, and I would say that Pathway to Health is one of the most impactful events that you could ever be part of. Amen, Amazing. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. But, you know, Kyle, it doesn't just affect the volunteers. It affects the
6: communities right. where those, the event is being held. Every city we've gone to, the mayor's office has been involved. Tell me a little bit about the mayor of Beckley.
3: That's right. So the mayor of Beckley actually came to visit Pathway on Thursday. Uh-huh. You did the tour, yes, Dr. That Lila, was, it's exciting. and he walked around and he saw everything that was happening. And you know, I remember because I was following you guys around, and even then his eyes were, were a little misty. He was a little misty-eyed. He
6: seemed to be very impressed.
3: As he, as he saw the ministry that was taking place to the people of his city. And he was so, so impressed and just kept thanking us for what was happening. And we, we actually invited him
6: to come to the gratitude session,
3: to come to a gratitude session, just because we wanted to say thank you to the city for allowing us to come. So we said, Mr. Mayor, please come at three o'clock and on he Saturday. Said he'd come. And we thought he was going to come. So he said he was going to come. But we were there three o'clock on Sabbath. And what now, happened?
6: Mayor. What
3: do you think happened? The mayor didn't show up. And we, we were so sad because we wanted him to come, but we thought, well, you know, he's a busy guy. He's, 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 you know, he's the mayor of 20,000 plus people, so it was okay. Well, the next day on Sunday, we're packing up, and pretty much everybody's gone. The parking lot is empty. 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 All the equipment's in the trucks. And I was running late, like usual. And um, <laughs> anyway, the Lord had a reason for me being late that day. And I was pulling out of the parking lot, and guess who drives in?
6: The mayor. The
3: mayor. It was 3 o'clock on Sunday, and the mayor pulls in. And I saw him get out of his car, and he's got his suit on, and he's got his you know, speech right there, and he's walking up. And we're like, oh, shoot, we need to go talk. Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor. And he, he, he's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. He was so apologetic. Aww. He's like, I, 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 I this, the parking lot's empty. Did I miss it? And we're like, yeah, you missed it. You're, it, was, it was yesterday, and he, he was so sorry. <laughs> he was so sorry. But then we went in. And we, we met with him, and we talked with him, and, and he was just so thankful that we had come to his city and blessed the people of, the, of, of his town. And you know what he said? He said, I have been, uh, he was, he's only been the mayor for two weeks at that point. He was a, he's a new mayor, but he's lived in that city his whole life. And he said, I was here when this building was built. And you know, I have been to countless basketball games and of conferences and other events at this place. But never in my life, not in this entire 30 years, has every square inch of this building been put to better use than it was this week. Amen. Amen. And I want to thank you for ministering to our city. And, you know, we prayed for him. And when we said amen, I looked up and his tears were streaming down his face. And he was so thankful for the ministry that had taken place. And you know what? He even said that he's coming to our evangelistic meetings starting this month.
6: That's awesome, Kyle. That's so awesome.
3: So it impacts not only the community, but it also impacts patients and Beckley was very special because you know people get their teeth fixed and their eyeglasses and even haircuts but In Beckley, something very special happened, Dr. Lila. Tell us about
6: that. To me, every event was very special, but Beckley was especially exciting. And that was because we changed the focus of the evening meetings. We made it patient-focused. So we invited the patients to come join us, and they came. We changed it to whole person care. It was very, very exciting.
3: So is there one particular story that impacted you the most?
6: Yes. You know, I think of Tiffany. And we look on our screen, we'll have a picture of Tiffany. Tiffany did provide us a, a permission to share her Story. You know, Kyle, it was Friday afternoon, and we were doing that thing that we hate yes, to have to do. We don't like to do it. The last dental patient has been seen for the day, and we know we've got to make the announcement to the crowds outside. No more dental patients. We
3: convert them to other we services. We convert
6: them, yes, and they convert. And this one partic- <laughs> particular lady named Tiffany, I just felt a special drawing to her. And I went up to her, and said, I said, Tiffany, of course she introduced herself, you know, I really want you to come to the evening. I know we can't do dental, we have these other services, but would you please come tonight? And we have free tickets for our evening meal as well. And she came. She, she was came. was so excited. She came. She didn't just come. She brought her husband. She brought her daughter and their baby. And they were so excited. And her little daughter, her little nine-year-old daughter Taylor came that night, Friday night. She stood up on the stage and she said, I just want to tell you all, I want to volunteer at your next event. It amen. was just so beautiful.
3: Amen, amen. And she, she was crying, and Tiffany. And she was
6: crying. Tiffany was crying. But she didn't just end Friday night. She came to church the next morning. She came to Sabbath afternoon. And when she came to the Sabbath afternoon meeting, she looked out. of the congregation, and she said, I just want to tell you all something. You didn't just minister to me physically. You ministered to me emotionally, but most importantly, spiritually. You are my family. Amen. You are my family.
3: Amen. Amen. My friends, God is calling us to see others as our family. God is calling us to impact the world for him. How many of you want to be members in action tonight? Jesus is coming soon, and Jesus is calling each one of us to get up out of our seats and to share the love of Jesus with a hurting world. May God bless you. Amen.
7: Tell you what, I love members in action. How about you? It's always exciting. I feel like we get a chance to pull back the screen and see behind what the Holy Spirit is doing and what He longs to do in a much greater way. I'm excited to be here this afternoon with Alan Knowles from Riverside Farm in Zambia. Alan, tell us a little bit about what Riverside
8: Farm is. Riverside is an adult training school in the country of Zambia, and uh, we are privileged to uh, have a farm that uh, funds our education system. Amen. Tell us a little
7: more about what's been happening there recently and how that works.
8: Uh, we have some pictures for you yeah, here of Riverside get Farm.
7: Get a picture up here.
8: We uh, are, have been privileged over the past few years to be funded by ASI with several projects. Here in the picture, you can see in the foreground three houses. These are one-day project houses for our staff that have been built recently. In the background, you see two center pivots for irrigation systems for uh, our wheat and soybean harvests. But in the center is what we want, I want to talk about this, uh, this evening, the banana crop. This has been funded for us from ASI recently. Okay, so now for the mathematicians among us, you should listen in. Check this out. In December 2014, uh, we received the funding and we started planting.
7: Now, now you only planted just a few bananas, right? Yeah,
8: 20,000 banana plants. If you lined those banana plants up in a single row, it would be 20 miles long. Wow! Right, Uh, our our workers are proud of those bananas. They even say they have them named already, each one of them. (laughs) uh, One year later, December 2015, uh, the first fruits came out, and from December 2015 till date, uh, the record that I just got from Jabel is that we have harvested 600 metric tons of bananas in the last six months. Now, how many of you like
7: bananas for breakfast? Okay, get ready.
8: Well, I need to translate the 600 metric tons for for some of you, I'm sure. That's uh, 1.3 million pounds of bananas this year so far. Or let's say it's 4.5 million bananas. Are you hungry? <laughs> well, by the end of the year, we project that that number will be 1,000 metric tons, or 2.2 million pounds, or 7 million bananas. And uh, looks like there's about 1,000 people out here, Craig? I think so. Uh, how many bananas is that for each of you? Mathematicians, it's your chance. Yeah, that, that's a lot of bananas for each of you. Uh, about 20 a day for the whole year. You better be hungry for breakfast
7: is all I can say. Now, you do this because you like to grow
8: bananas, right? We do it because we need to grow bananas to sell okay. so we can run our training program. We have, the, as I mentioned, an adult training program where we train evangelists, health educators. We train in tailoring and in gardening.
7: Very good. It's really exciting to see what you've given going to work and multiplying like the story of the talents
8: and putting more and more workers uh, in the field. Sure. And and this also provides work for local people, too. About 40 local people work in this banana farm, and it gives them uh, ability to send their children to Christian education. Craig, that's a very important thing. Amen. Uh, to provide their family with adequate food and shelter and to get adequate uh, medical care also. So there's a lot of people that are affected outside of our school that come in and work every day. So Riverside Farm has been a blessing not only to the students but to our community Community around. Very good. Anything else you would like to share? Well, I'd just like to say thank you to ASI for the support that you've given us throughout the years. And uh, we hope to be faithful that we can have students trained to go out into the field to bring the coming of Jesus sooner. And we want to thank you for participating in that with us. Thank you so much, Alan, for
7: that. Isn't that exciting? Can you imagine? That's a lot of bananas. The next project we've, we have get to share with you is actually coming from Congo. Um, we've got uh, three folks here with us. We've got Angasa, o- uh, Pastor Ungasa. We have uh, Carolyn and Richard Leonard, and they're going to tell us a little bit about Train Them to Fish and the work God's doing in Congo. Tell us a little bit about what Train Them to Fish is and some stories that you have.
9: Well, train Them to Fish is to help humanitarian work as well as evangelism. And I have a little story that goes back to 2012 when um, there were a lot of Bible workers that had been trained, and they had brought people to the Lord. And they always are there before the evangelistic series, so which helps. But the interesting thing is that there were five um, pastors from different denominations. There were three Pentecostals. There was one non-denominational, and the other one was a Baptist. They became interested
7: Mm. in
9: this uh, evangelistic series.
7: Pre-Adventists.
9: Yeah. And the three of them were sent to the Adventist University in Lukonga, and they are back now. They had six months of training, and they're working as lay pastors or Bible workers. And uh, last but not least, the retention rate with these newly baptized people is 95 to 98 percent. Amen. Unheard
7: of. <laughs> That's really a testament, I believe, to doing solid groundwork with your evangelism project. That's so exciting. We've got another story. Richard, tell us what you have to share.
10: There was a number of pastors who were meeting together one day, and this woman came up to them, and they said, sh- she asked them, can you uh, pray for me? And they said, well, tell us a little bit about your story. And so they prayed for this lady, and what happened is her husband had left her. And she hadn't seen him for three, her, for three years and wanted to just simply pray that uh, he could, she could find them. Three days later, they came back. She came back and was just all glowing because she was able to find her husband and he was able to come back. None. He, she asked to give a testimony to the church. And the pastor said, well, please tell us your story so we can go ahead and have you do that. And as he told him, she had been a prostitute Simply because her husband had left, she had no way to feed and clothe her children. And the fact is that the church helped her have an education. She now has has her own business, and she is a faithful member of the church. She wanted to be a member of it because God was in that church.
7: You know, God's in the the business of changing some people's business. Praise the Lord. Amen. Pastor Angasa, tell us a little bit about your burning vision for the Congo.
11: Yes, so the burning vision is to have a school of evangelism for the French-speaking countries. Uh, the school will be based in, in the Congo. So God has already provided our, our land, our property, 34 acres. So wow. we are training Bible workers already. and lay pastors, and we want to include a training program for medical missionaries as well. Now,
7: now, real quick, let me interrupt you. Now, there's lots of schools like that in in the French-speaking part of Africa, right? No. Are there any? No. It's really a need for French-speaking training there in that part of Africa.
11: There is a great need for a school of evangelism to reach out to the French-speaking countries in, in Africa because uh, uh, the gospel you know let me give you an example where the, the, the school will be located at is uh, like a state of 9 million people but they, there is only there are only 270 Adventist pastors wow. so these projects want to, to to fill that gap and to train Bible workers lay pastors church planters as well as uh, medical missionaries so April uh, we have trained 68 people and they are right now they they are visiting families and over 2,000 Bible studies are going on every week. So um, God has provided the 34 acres property so the the, the project is already there uh, and we are expecting that uh, God will provide funds to build the school of evangelism to reach out to the French-speaking
7: countries. So tell me If people feel moved to get involved, how do they find you?
11: They can go to booth number 125 and uh, train them to fish is there. And we'll be willing to talk to them and to share more about this ministry.
7: Amen. Keeping your prayers, the work going on in Congo, it is a field that really, really needs more workers. Thank you so much for sharing with us today.
11: We thank you very much.
7: Thank you. You know, it's really, really exciting to see some really challenging fields being reached in different ways by the gospel. And I'm actually excited, Uh, Jason's here, to share with us about the work of Kibidula Farms in Tanzania. Tell us a little bit about what's going on at Kibidula there in Tanzania.
12: Um, At Kibidula, we have a training center where we train uh, Bible workers uh, to go out as missionaries throughout Tanzania. And one of the places that's particularly challenging is in the very south of Tanzania. It's almost all Muslim. I don't know if you realize that Tanzania is almost half Muslim. And so in the south where it's very Muslim, it's a particularly challenging field there. Wow. So tell us, do you have some stories of the work
7: that's going on there?
12: Yes, I just have the testimony of John. He's a Missionary who was trained at Kibidula and then sponsored by Kibidula to work in a village in the south of Tanzania there. And um, he left the village where he stays one day and he was in another village giving tracts and he happened to cross through the yard of a, a mosque. And a bunch of people from the mosque saw him cross that area, they weren't sure who he was or exactly what he was doing but they quickly caught him and without asking many questions um, they pronounced sentence upon him that he would have to die for desecrating um, the mosque or the ground around the mosque with his presence. And um, it just so happened that as they were waiting for um, some tools or whatever to accomplish the sentence that they had pronounced upon him, someone happened to ask him, so who are you? What do you do? And he was kind of thankful for that opportunity to say, I am a Seventh-day Adventist, and this is what we believe. And so they started asking a few questions about, well, what do Seventh-day Adventists believe? And he pointed out that, well, we don't eat pork, for one. And, um, it's a yeah, good start, you know. <laughs> there's a number of things. So that. That they soon realized, maybe we pronounced sentence too quickly here. And they started, um, you know, with some more questions. And finally, they're like, okay, we're going to let you go this time. And actually, in the end, they gave him freedom um, to continue handing out tracts in their village. And, you know, it was just a great testimony that um, the Lord was able to save him at that moment. Amen. I'm picturing
7: this. He's making a wide berth around the grounds of the mosque, but he has lots of tracks to give out now. That's That's exciting. So, that was a close call. I want to hear another story from, from this region that's being reached. It's a very difficult region, and you're sending multiple lay missionaries into this area. Tell us another story about what God's doing in the Muslim regions of Tanzania.
12: Okay, I'm going to tell a little story about De- Daudi Simzosha. He's an older gentleman, but he's there with his family. He's been there for a number of years. Has been raising a, a church, a group in, in also a very Muslim village, and uh, the daughter of one of the high-ranking members of the village started attending the church, and the father figured that out. He was happy. No. He was quite angry, actually. And one evening he came to the church. It was a Wednesday night prayer meeting. The daughter was in the church. He was um, ready to... uh, Anyway, he, he gave some pretty strong threats at the church of what would happen if his daughter continued to come, and he took his daughter out of the church but the next Sabbath um, he was the, the daughter was in church and Amen. so the man went back to the church, this time he had a machete in his hand he, he held it covered in his coat he walked into the church, he went up to the front where our lay missionary was preaching and uh, it was a cold morning and he took the machete out and he tried to uh, kill the missionary there uh, right in front of the church and um, the, the missionary had a heavy coat on because it was cold and he hit the coat and the machete dropped to the floor and he was powerless to to take it again and he ended up running out of the church afraid like what happened and um, it, to make a long story short in the end he gave his daughter full permission to attend this church and. I just want to say today there is a thriving community of Adventist members in that village. We have a God who
7: still lets people out of the lion's jaws, who still lets people out of fiery furnaces, and in this instance keeps people from being killed when they're doing the work of God in places where it is extremely difficult. I hope you'll pray for each one of these projects as they work to share Christ around the world. Thank you so much.
12: Thank you.
13: Hello ASI. Are you encouraged? Are you inspired? Okay, we, oh I guess I'm supposed to be over here. Okay, I don't play the violin so that's the wrong place. Okay, so I have with me Pastor Sam and Pastor Scott Griswold and they have a ministry that I think is amazing and that everyone in this auditorium can be a part of. And so Pastor Sam, you are from where?
14: I am from Burma.
13: Okay, Bur- or Myanmar now, right? Now Myanmar. Okay, Yeah, now Myanmar. Now you came to America to be to go to the seminary?
14: Yes, at Andrews University.
13: Okay, so you wanted to be a pastor, but before that, what were you doing?
14: I was a missionary before that.
13: And before that?
14: Before that, I was in the business studies so, and field, yes. So
13: you were an ASI member? I well, wish I was. Yes, okay, but you could have been an ASI member. And like many of these people, you had your own business, and then you decided to go into God's work. Now, at the seminary, as you were studying to be a minister, you saw a great need. And what was that?
14: I saw multitudes of refugees coming from all over the world, especially from countries like Iraq and Afghanistan and Somalia, countries where it's very difficult or impossible to share the gospel.
13: Yes, and we want to send missionaries to those countries to reach them. And here the people are coming right into our backyards.
14: And I felt a strong impression inside of me that there needs to be someone. Maybe I am the one that should be. So finally, I saw the need and I felt the Holy Spirit working inside of me to work with them.
13: You know, a lot of people see the needs. Yes. But sometimes, or many times, that need goes unfulfilled because we don't know what to do. Okay, but you knew what to do and what was that?
14: To surrender everything to God.
13: Okay, and how did you fill this need?
14: I spent time in fasting and prayer. And God impressed upon my heart which group of people to work with.
13: Okay, now, fasting and prayer is what we all need to do to begin our ministry. But sometimes when we start a ministry, we want to be a big, grand ministry. But how did you start?
14: I start from scratch. I did not have a car, and the refugees that I want to reach out to are like two hours or three hours drive away from where I was. So many times I had to leave on Friday afternoon to, uh, to Indianapolis or to Chicago, and on Tuesday I would be f- praying for a vehicle, for God to provide me someone to, uh, to take me, uh, give me a ride, and if there would be no transportation or vehicle that would be provided to me by Wednesday, on Thursday I would fast and pray.
13: And then what would happen?
14: Many, okay, almost all the time. By Thursday afternoon, as I end my fast, God would impress upon my heart very strongly and said, my son, your right is taken care of. And he would give me that peace of mind that no human being can take away from me.
13: And so you would have a card and you would go to these people. And what would you do once you reach them?
14: Once I reach them, I help them um, apply for jobs. These are refugees that like to work. They enjoy working hard. And they are good workers. So I help them with job applications, I help them with job interviews, I even help them at job orientation.
13: Okay, so now these people, when they come, they get government assistance, but for how long?
14: Most of the time it's three months. And three months. And the government expect them to find jobs and be able to stand on their own feet in three months' time So after possible.
13: that, they're on their own?
14: They are on their own.
13: But they don't know the language? They don't know yet. the language, yes. Okay, and they don't know how the, how the American workplace works? That's right. And also how the government works.
14: Yes, and as a result, they are very stressful.
13: Mm-hmm. And they
14: are always looking for genuine friends that would love them, that would support them, that would encourage them, that would let them feel that this is a country that welcomed them.
13: Okay, so you feel that need. And then how does that translate into sharing your gospel?
14: When I, share them, when I help them with their needs... You know, whether it be going to the uh, doctor appointments, whether it be going to, to get, help them get your driver license, by showing them Christ's love and, and grace and compassion and helping them with your day-to-day challenges and needs, we begin to bond together. There's this deep level of friendship and trust that they have. And as a result, they begin to ask me who I am and what I believe and why is it that I am, as, as a full-time student, would be helping them.
13: Okay, so Pastor Scott... You are part of the ASAP, and what does that stand for?
8: ASAP Ministries stands for Advocates for Southeast Asians and the Persecuted, and we are simply trying to encourage and support work among Southeast Asians overseas, but also here, and also for those who've come country- from countries where there's war or persecution.
13: So, Pastor Sam is a part of your part of your ministry. Amen. Okay. Now, you have you shared a very interesting testimony. With yes. me and, and I would like you to
14: share them with them. I've, at the end of my studies at the seminary, I asked God to show me where He wants me to work. And I, as I was fasting and praying on the Sunday, God impressed upon me very strongly that I need to work with the refugees. And I asked Him, Lord, which refugees group? The one in Chicago, in Lansing, in Better Creek, in Grand Rapids, or in Indianapolis? And God said, Indianapolis. So my next question is, okay, I need to go and work in Indianapolis, but I don't have a car. And I need gas money. And I need to rent an apartment. And I don't have money for an apartment. There's no one, no, no organization that will be supporting me. But how will I go and reach out to them? And as I was fasting and praying, as the sun was setting down, God impressed upon my heart and said, My son, how many years were you at the seminary? I said, four years. Do you owe any money, a single cent to Andrews University or any one organization? I said, Lord, no one. And the Lord impressed upon my heart and said, as I have taken care of your needs for four years, without anyone sponsoring you, I will take care of your needs. Go to Indianapolis.
13: Okay, so now God did send you to Indianapolis, and you've had amazing experiences there. And what is the result? What was the end result? I understand you planted a church.
14: Yes, the the end result is that uh, at the beginning, we started about seven or eight people. With that, with God's blessing, we have about uh, 65 baptized members in, in that church plant.
13: Amen. Now, ASI members, you can reach the refugee community in your city and in your community. And how do they do that, Pastor Scott?
8: There are a whole lot of ways. He shared with you many of the ways that you can just care for people as they first arrive, as they are trying to get used to the things here. But to just summarize it in the time we have, I would encourage people to go to the website reachtheworldnextdoor.com or stop by and pick up a kit that we have prepared at the ASAB Ministries booth there. And what number is your booth? It's number 408.
13: Okay, 408. You know, we're looking to go into mission fields. Sometimes we can't go to a lot of these countries, but you have these people right in your backyards that you can work with. So thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, next we have a gentleman that has an amazing ministry. And his name is Sean Diabreu. Now Sean, I met him uh, uh, last year, last, last year. And as soon as I met him, I knew he needed to be involved in the ASI officer corps. And so we twisted his arm and everything else, and he is our Mid-America ASI Vice President for Membership and Recruitment. So. Now, I would like you to share just a very short testimony.
15: God has been so good to me. Um, My very short testimony in this context, uh, when I was 17 years old, I suffered a spinal cord injury. I was a seven-day Adventist going to a non non denominational school. um, And there was a school shooting where I was. And I was paralyzed. Um, But God is so good. Um, As I said, I was a seven-day Adventist. And so I understood the great controversy. And I understood that um, God, although he is ultimately in control, uh, he is loving and kind. Uh, he protected me from further injury, and he's given me opportunity to witness and to serve him. So that's a brief So as a testimony. result
13: of the, sh- the shooting, you became a paraplegic, but you didn't let that slow you down.
15: No, uh, God is too good for that. Um, and so he uh, allowed me to go on and graduate from high school, graduate from college, go to graduate school, um, and then to begin a professional life from there.
13: Yes, and your profession is a lobbyist. And I've never actually met a real lobbyist before. So tell us what you're lobbying for.
15: Um, I, I've lobbied for um, a few different community uh, groups and non for profits um, and centered around the issues of health care, community based services, um, civil liberties, a um, variety of different other, um, um, uh, different other um, subjects as, as well.
13: Okay, so in addition to your lobbying activity as part of your living, you have a ministry. And what is that ministry?
15: It's the Midwest Center for Civil and Religious Liberty. Um, we are a non for profit. Um, uh, organization that's dedicated to protecting and advancing the issues of religious liberty and civil liberties within um, our society at the local and state level and regional level.
13: So as part of your ministry, you monitor legislative activities in some states, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, and Kansas right now, right? Yes. But you would like to expand to where?
15: Um, Other areas within the Mid-America Union and also the Midwest, um, if possible, uh, we are uh, headquartered in Missouri, um, and so that's where the, the, the majority of our legislative advocacy takes place.
13: Okay. Now, you also train members and churches and how they can get involved, and, and how do you do that?
15: That's really the thrust of our concern um, because there's a lot of information out there, and uh, so we don't suffer from a, a lack of information, um, but we do... Uh, need to be able to follow through on the knowledge that we've been blessed with as Seventh-day Adventists. And so our real burden is to help lay people and others who may not be um, involved in le- religious liberty, even though they may be policymakers or attorneys, uh, to get involved, to understand what the issues are, to be able to communicate uh, with legislators and policymakers, and to form relationships uh, really for the primary basis of of trying to help people to understand the Three Angels message, but also to influence policy.
13: Right. Now, we want to influence policy because we know the great controversy and we know the Bible prophecy. Yes. And we know what's coming down the road. Yes. And so, why do you do this work?
15: Um, there is a moral purpose to prophecy. And so, it's not just for us to know what's going to happen um, and just to kind of sit back passively and allow things to happen is for us to be able to get involved as the Lord leads us uh, to perhaps help to hold back the winds a little longer so the gospel can be preached and lived in relative peace. And so that's kind of our burden at the local and state level because many of The various things that threaten our civil liberties and religious liberties—they happen more at the state level more than at the federal level. At the federal level, there's a lot of gridlock at this point in time, as you all may be well aware. Um, So there are a lot of things that pass through state legislatures that you know they sound good, but you know they may not be very good.
13: There's a very good example that you told me about that just passed through or almost passed through the Missouri state. Uh, legislature. Can you share with us what that
15: was? Sure. It it was called um, Senate Joint Resolution 39, um, and it was an amendment to the Missouri Constitution, which would have essentially established religion. Now, it sounded good. It was very marketed very well um, in, in a manner that many conservative Christians would have agreed with. Oftentimes, when we hear things like religious liberty, we oftentimes, you know, say, yeah, I'm for that. However, when you looked at the proposal and looked at the bill itself, it actually established a particular religious point of view within the Missouri Constitution. Now, whether or not we agree with a particular policy or particular uh, piece of theology is really not the point. The point is we really believe in separation of church and state. Amen? and so therefore we want to avoid the situation where there is within constitutions, within statutes, particular theological viewpoints, even if we agree with them, that would then be enforced by law. Because even on this one hand, it's maybe something that some people would agree with, what happens next when there's something that we don't agree with, whether that's the Sunday law or some of the aspect that would affect our religious liberty, and so SJR 39 was looked like it was a freight train. It went straight through the Senate. It looked like it was not going to be stopped, Um, but God is good. Um, We talked with legislators. We did some public affairs work. uh, We did some other things in coordination with with other partners, um, and it failed in in committee by one vote, just one vote, Um, and so um, the way this is applicable to you, you may not live in Missouri, um, but as I said, proposals like this go through state legislatures all the time, and so we have to be vigilant.
13: Yes. Thank you so much, and you know we're going to be praying for you, and I think this is something that we all should be interested in. Thank you. So thank you so much for sharing. Okay, next we have someone that many of you already know, Moses Primo. He is uh, the Moses, what are you?
16: I'm Director of Broadcasting and Engineering for 3ABN.
13: Yes, he's the Director for Broadcasting for 3ABN. So we have, how long have you been there?
16: Uh, almost 25 years.
13: 25 years, okay. And so you're very involved with that, very busy. But now you've started another ministry.
16: Yes, the Lord has uh, impressed me that, uh, you know, I was really privileged to be in a uh, generation like this that goes from a uh, six, eight-foot satellite dishes uh, to a small internet connection with set-top boxes. And uh, I saw um, other companies like the Roku and some other companies, Sky Angel, Angel doing uh, a lot of uh, channels that are not good for... Uh, your family. So the Lord impressed me to create something that would be uh, seven-day Adventist content, not only for the seven-day, but the content would be uh, only seven-day Adventist.
13: Okay, so because you weren't busy enough, you decided to start another <laughs> ministry. Okay, and what's the name of that ministry?
16: Uh, it's a My SDA TV. The reason is I want everybody to have, this is my SDA content.
13: Okay, so this, this network is strictly Adventist programming.
16: Yes, it is uh, strictly Adventist programming, but not only for Adventists.
13: Right, and, and who provides this programming?
16: Uh, they are all the uh, channels, uh, the seven Adventist channels like uh, 3ABN. We have eight channels for 3ABN. They're all high definition uh, in the box. Um, there's amazing discoveries, amazing facts. LLBN and one other factor that I wanted to emphasize in this box is we have a lot of uh, different languages it is my goal to be a uh, the center of uh, all the seven-day Adventist uh, uh, portal uh, for many different languages to be able to connect to that and be blessed with the material that we have
13: well amen now this is your wife Ajima and she is on your staff Yes. So this is your ministry, but she does all the work.
2: <laughs> Always.
13: <laughs> Always. <laughs> and, and what do you do? I am the treasurer, and I do the shipping, and
9: I help answer the phone. Okay. Yeah, very she good. prays
16: with some people, especially elderly people that call and tell that uh, their uh, lives have been changed and that there is hope because now they have the content available on the TV with uh, all the message that uh, gives them hope for living.
13: Now how do you accept content from media uh, people, sources?
16: It's uh, as long as uh, with uh, the 28 fundamental beliefs of the SDA church uh, we uh, just uh, provide that ability. is uh, free for the uh, networks uh, all the channels and not only TV but radio also, and we want to invite uh, you know all the ASILA organizations that have media content and to be on the box. Um, we have uh, three different boxes.
13: Okay. Uh, we want to show
16: them. the. This is uh, the smallest one. I was telling you we went from a uh, 10-foot satellite dishes to uh, as a sm- smaller than a business card. You just connect this little one to the internet, and you connect it to your TV set, and you can get the high-definition quality. And uh, not only that, you put it in your pocket, you can travel with it, or you can, uh, we have uh, a lot of people that are using it as a ministry tool. Uh, they buy in quantities to uh, give out and minister to other people.
13: Okay, so you have you have three different sizes that people can use to play the content For any kind of of venues like public evangelistic meetings, for home meetings, for all that. And then you also have the part where people can send in content.
16: Right. Uh, We have also uh, one very important factor that uh, we made sure to have is the video on demand. Today nobody has time to watch what they want at the time that uh, the networks want. So we keep in the memory of the box uh, 30 days of 24 hours of programming. So if you come into ASI, you see something, you like it, you go back home, you can watch it again or share with uh, your uh, friends or families. Uh, the box has a USB on the on the back uh, that uh, you can put a USB stick and uh, you can uh, download and share with the friends.
13: Now how do people send in their contents? Uh,
16: we, uh, I uh, received the URL from the ministries and uh, we just uh, propagated that uh, distribution through the box.
13: Okay, we just have a few seconds left. Do you have a testimony that you can share with us of somebody that used the box and changed their lives? Well,
16: thank you for asking that because we don't have a lot of time and I was worried about it. But uh, I will make a, a, a quick testimony of one lady that called us, actually Ajma talked to her. Um, she uh, purchased the box And uh, she was watching because uh, she was enjoying, she was Seventh-day Adventist, but uh, she was worried about her son, a teenager son, that was out of the church. And every night uh, she uh, turned off the box, went to bed, and the next morning the box was on. So uh, she uh, was wondering, but one night uh, she got up and uh, she saw her son watching 3ABN and uh, watching The Bachelor. After a series of weeks and days, uh, she, came, uh, she came to talk to the son, and the son said, Mom, I surrender my life to Jesus, and uh, I wanted to go to Andrews to do a theology program, and I want to become a pastor.
13: Amen. So how can they contact you?
16: Uh, they, we're going to put up the website. It's very easy. It's mysdatv.org. Uh, and uh, also, we have uh, in that uh, website, we have the three models and the how you can acquire it. Uh, there is a lot of instructions that, that we are upgrading the website. We wanted that website to be a portal for all the media content of this, that is Seventh-day Adventist.
13: Amen. ASI, I hope that you've heard something tonight that you can take home and get involved in. Because yeah. that's why you're here, right? Amen. Yeah. So let's get to work. Thank you.
9: Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for bringing us each here. Thank you for the plan that you have for every one of our lives. Lord, we may not know what that plan is, but we can trust your hands and trust your heart. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that your spirit will so. Impress us with your love that we will be willing to sacrifice and give up all for you, for this is what you've done for us. Please give us wisdom and guide us in how we may serve you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
12: This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org.